Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Football Tactics podcast. I'm your host Neil Shelat and I'm delighted to say that I've been joined by Alex Parker. Alex, how does it feel to be introduced again this time? This, this is the best week of my life. My goodness, <laughs> everything's going right this week. Do you know what? It feels fantastic. Thank you, Neil. I hope you're doing really well. Thank you. Uh, and we've also been joined by Varun Vasudevan, who is going to completely kill the vibe of this introduction. How are you, Varun? <laughs> I thought Alex was going to say, I would like to thank my parents for this great achievement, <laughs> going from third to second on the billing for Tactics Podcast. To be fair, he was I first did. before, but yeah. yeah. So it's like a whole cycle for him. Anyways, um, I am pretty happy to be here and I don't mind my name being called third. I think it's cool coming last. That's good to hear. You're pretty happy well, to Manchester be here. Manchester United fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually yeah pretty happy is probably the max we're gonna get from you this week <laughs> yeah yeah so let's not hope for anyway today we're here to talk about a team which I, I guess in certain cases does seem like is just here uh for for, for many seasons now honestly uh I, i'll just say the name uh it's paris Saint-Germain, who keep winning liga and keep failing to win the champions league no matter how badly they want it uh, and so, you know, almost every season they have some changes. You know, bunch of transfers all the time, almost new managers, uh, and and they keep trying to find the formula that'll work. And obviously, Liga is almost a write-off for them in most cases, and definitely seems so this season. Uh, but the Champions League has always been the elusive one for them. And I mean, to be honest, I don't know if they'll get it this year either. But I do think they're doing some interesting stuff this year so we're here to talk about them uh, of course before we get into what they're up to this year we'll quickly uh, discuss some of their past uh, so obviously last season 22-23 they won Liga did not famously win the Champions League uh, and honestly that's all we need to know about it because basically from them everything's changed they had a load of off-field issues uh, especially with manager Christophe Galtier loads of very dodgy reports coming out. It definitely did not seem a good, uh, good environment uh, that that squad. But they, they they've changed quite a lot. Of course, Galtier left, but a fair few transfers as well. And before we discuss those, I think Varun has something to to point out about perhaps a shift in their philosophy in that regard. So Varun, what have you noticed? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to start when we talk about PSG with the whole sports washing angle and them being uh, bought by Qatari owners and I think for a lot of time at least the way I would say it was there was a whole brand building angle to their transfers trying to get the biggest names uh, especially in the build-up to the World Cup and there seemed to be some sort of link and just boasting of a Messi, Neymar, Mbappe front three I think that was a big deal for them and Almost since the World Cup has ended, you can already see a shift. I think it started a bit last year as well. And this year definitely confirms it. lot of those, so Messi and Neymar have left and Sergio Ramos has left. A lot of those big names that came in, you know, Wijnaldum has left. So those big names have gone, those older players have gone. And almost all the signings have now been uh, with younger players. And I think the sporting director change also had that. Leonardo... Uh, was the one who was there before uh, this amongst uh, under whom all the experienced players the big name players the brand players came but Luis Campos he is a little famous for uh, these young uh, kind of signings and they have relied on him and he's even getting a bit of credit now for this so I think there's a whole philosophy change there and that is definitely something we have to touch on PSG yes where you know the butt of jokes a few years back the team with names that never wins anything uh, in the Champions League that is they obviously win League One but you know that they are at least trying to change that so there was one point I wanted to bring about in terms of the club vision change right uh, and I think as you said we can see that uh, in their latest transfer window as you said loads of big names leaving Messi gone Neymar gone Ramos gone and many young signings in there so let's let's quickly review their transfers. I'm going to put both of you on the spot. We'll have a quick fire round of their transfers. I've got a list of everyone who came in. I'll ask either of you to tell me about them. 
you've got one sentence to tell me whatever you want to about the transfer and you can convolute your sentence as much as you like but the moment i detect a full stop i'm going to the next one all right let's okay. begin okay game uh i'll give you the transfer and the transfer fee as well if if you want to talk about that let's start with the most expensive one uh, randall colomwani i think this one should go to alex go on alex um i think he is a killing and bappe replacement for when he eventually leaves I forgot to mention the fee but that's 95 million euros so if that is true I suppose that's money I've justifiably spent obviously still a lot but a very interesting take there perhaps something worth discussing once we get into their tactics let's go on for the next one uh, Manuel Ugarte for 60 million euros wait where do I, where do I get my one line on money or oh, oh we no 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 it's just one each yeah oh damn <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> you know your turn baron Uh, your your turn is Ugarte okay. gone 60 million very good signing especially for that price and especially for what psg needed in their midfield all right in- interestingly done quite a few commas in there but fair enough man uh let's let's go to usman dembele 50 million euros thoughts alex um <laughs> barca got ripped off if you know about how that deal actually worked Right. Do you uh, know how that deal works? Can I explain that briefly? Yeah, go on, explain. Um, th- this is from vague memory, so if you're listening, uh, look up for the actual details. But uh, Dembele was sold for 50 million euros, but he had a gentleman's agreement with Barcelona that he'd uh, 25 million would go to him, if I remember correctly. So Barcelona only got 25 million euros, so it was one Dembele. I mean, fair play to Dembele. To be fair, great business. Uh, from his point of view, <laughs> uh, but yeah, in- interesting signing for uh, PSG nonetheless. Again, someone worth mentioning uh, when we get into their tactics this season. Right, next one, uh, Lucas Hernandez, forty-five million. Varun, good signing and a good fitment for what uh, Luis Enrique wants to do. But for a player who's missed two fifty days last season via injury. and is generally injury prone i think it's a bit of a overpay and i'm not sure how much they can rely on him consistently quite a long sentence well done uh next one bradley barcola 45 million as well thoughts alex uh it probably embodies their new approach the most in terms of getting in young french promising talent right and on that note uh, you go akiteke Uh, well, I mean, this is to be fair. Just Farron's uh, <laughs> draw the short straw. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm I'm going to skip this because this is the. I mean, not only is it similar, but it's also like the loan being made permanent, which was I think a loan with an obligation to buy. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yes, so it doesn't count. Javi uh, Simons has been shipped off, so we're not counting him. Uh, Kangen Lee, twenty-two million. Varun, really good signing. whom i've always been a fan of for many years and thought he deserved a top team way way before this and i hope he can get enough chances to prove himself and become a starting 11 member but overall it's still a good squad signing farron's talking I, in paragraphs not sentences yeah he he just says and whenever whenever i think there's a full stop coming he says and so i think we've got to limit the number of ands You guys oh, get you three ends. You said full stop as the rule. <laughs> okay, well, new rule. You guys last get three ends. Last time we ruined these quiz. This time we're ruining his speaking. <laughs> uh, all right, three ends, right, guys? Uh, next one, Milan Skriniar, Alex. Uh, solid signing. Surprised how well he has done uh, in a back two. Although maybe that's a bit of an interesting point. We'll touch on. Right. Uh, that's free, by the way. Marco Asensio also free. Varun, I get why Luis Enrique signed him because he likes him. I wouldn't have imagined him to move to PSG, but early signs suggest he'll be used a lot. Okay. Um, next one is Sher Andur, also free. Alex, who? Sher Andur. Uh, Neil will take this one. Yeah, you know what? I'll say it. Uh, oh damn! One line. No, I've made this stuff for myself. Uh, interesting youth prospect. Probably needs a bit of time. 
That's what I'm gonna say. Okay, yeah, this is this is tough. I thought game, you were mispronouncing Chengizinda for a little while. <laughs> no, no, he went to Fenerbahce or something, didn't he? Yeah, he went to yeah, the land yeah. of the he land of the superstars. Yeah, the, the the real Super League. Um, anyway, uh, all right, where were we? Yes, last one I think. Gonzalo Ramos, uh, a, like a uh, reports vary, but let's say seventy five million euros. Whose turn is it? Is it Alex? Well, technically it's Ramos, but the last one you mentioned was like an FM regen, so I didn't really get a go. <laughs> okay, you know what? Both of you get this one. Alex first. Okay. Thank you. Yay. Um, Ramos, I quite like the player, but I already feel sorry for him. Oh, okay. Uh, Warren? Um, really good signing. I like the player. The fee also makes sense. Uh, I'm skeptical about whether he makes it, but it's a good signing. Yeah, there's definitely a full stop in that, but all right, man. <laughs> that's, that's the end of that. Uh, okay, great fun, guys. Great stuff. I think that's a pretty good review of the transfers. Let's now get into what they're doing this season, because obviously... I just wanted to add one thing, because we're right. in transfers. Among the departures, hmm. Neymar went for 90 million to Al-Hilal. Oh, yes. I mean... There's no way you it's can look at FFP. that and not... Yeah, I mean, that is so easy because if if uh, all the rumors were right, Chelsea and PSG were the ones who were really tight on FFP and were struggling around till last year. So I just think it's a very easy bailout as some Chelsea players as well. And Neymar going for 90 minutes, way too easy a bailout in terms of FFP. Even Marco Verratti, 45 million. That's actually a debatable one. I don't even know why they let go of Verratti. But then with his injury issues, you understand it. But Neymar for 90 is just a... That is just a bonus, man. Yeah, I was about to say, it's also quite handy that the, the there's a, a, few, a few Qatari clubs who've just, you know, they just seem quite keen on PSG players. I'm not sure why, but <laughs> they just wonder. seem quite keen on them. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Can interesting we go to our Qatari yeah. correspondent, Neil Shalat, for that? <laughs> uh, well, I, I prefer not to speak, I'm afraid. But... Uh, the, yeah, it's, it's safe to say that they've had a decent helping hand for their FFP from various places. Um, and, and yeah, as you say, ultimately, I think their I mean, net spend isn't something that really matters that much, but it's only about a hundred and something, 150 odd million, I think. Um, so it's not not that bad when you look at how they've completely overhauled their squad in many ways. Um but yeah, what I was going to say is that we've obviously mentioned all these player transfers, but I guess a very important sort of transfer, like a change, is also the fact that they brought in Luis Enrique. Uh, so now that's, again, a bit of a stylistic change as well to the way they play. So before we look at what he's done at PSG so far, I think Warren wants to give us a bit of a background about Enrique's previous work in, in other clubs and teams. So Warren, tell us about Enrique. Yeah, I think if I, had, yeah, if I had to start explaining what Enrique is about to someone who's never seen him, I would ask them to imagine a textbook 4-3-3 positional football um, setup. And after that, you can add some traits and caveats that Enrique makes it his own. But a large part of it, a major part of it is very, very textbook 4-3-3 which becomes a 2-3-5 or a 3-2-5 depending on his players. And you can say early Guardiola signs or a lot of Van Gaal teams, even Van Gaal's United, Van Gaal's early Netherlands, not the later one. Those are very similar teams to how Enrique sets up. And he has a huge emphasis on build-up and retention. I would say even, you know, to the point of overdoing it, they his teams retain the ball a lot. There is a lot of side passing. There is a bit of an element of not taking too many risks. And he likes his strikers to drop deep and link play. He almost uses them as, you know, at times as false nines. Uh, this is where I think the SNCO signing, what I was referring to, he used uh, SNCO in a false nine role often at Spain. And sure, maybe Spain didn't have too many strikers. But then... I think his first preference is always, you know, to play a very, very good link-up capable kind of striker. And then when that person can come down and free the space, maybe an eight gets into that space. Maybe a winger gets into that space. So I think they have very good positional patterns. That whole idea of 
every player occupying the five lanes and every player um, building up together th- those are very very strict patterns it's the attacking third where i've not really been a big fan of luis enrique teams uh, i think they know how to get to the final third but after that there is a little bit of a figure it out kind of angle uh, uh, in his team's dynamics um there's where i would say there's a difference between a cordial or someone else like cordial is okay with you know that kevin de bruyne crossing he is okay with a hollandish uh, type striker or a winger who can take on i don't know if luis enrique gives that kind of uh, freedom or he enjoys that kind of freedom by nature and he just ha- has to rely on a bit of individual magic in the final third and i think that's why it worked really well at barcelona with msn he set up a, a little deeper with two banks of the defense and midfield because the front three wouldn't really track back and re- wouldn't really press too much but then he knew he could get away with it because msn were just magical messi uh, suarez neymar and that's how he set up at barcelona at spain because he knew he didn't have that powerful front three they had those three banks defense midfield and attack all of them pressed really high so that they can park in the opposition half and then do a lot of rotations and someone gets in Uh, after a lot of link link up play i don't think that worked as well and especially in attack they were always a little bit wanting so i think those are some generic issues of enrique teams uh, before he came at psg now at psg there f- he's done a few different things but i'm talking about the past you can expect a lot of control a lot of possession uh, percentage you know uh, values a lot of positional play and a lot of good ways good patterns to get into the final third but it's after that where it starts getting a little you know question markish so that's how i would describe enrique pre psg to anyone yeah and i think we have seen a lot of that in his obviously we have to say early days in psg just a few matches in uh, but you know like statistically again very possession dominant um, to the point that it's maybe even stale sometimes we'll discuss that in a bit um, and yeah structurally as you say you know, quintessential 433 becomes basically 2 3 2 3 or 2 3 5 in possession uh, full back starting deep but then you know getting forward in the opposition half um and and so yeah you know that that's the sort of very basic uh structural explanation of it but i think let's now maybe get into the nitty gritty of what they're doing both in terms of player usage and also in terms of perhaps some broader tactical issues i think alex has a point to make about their build up uh where he's he's found a weakness apparently which he would recommend to opposition managers so uh who 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 are they playing next but who are they playing next uh i hope you're listening because alex has something for you alex That, basically well, said if i'm the manager of the opposition the next team i'm thrashing psg final because i know their weakness that's what he told us before the show so so there is a, a slight problem with my sentence uh and with neil's intro there it's just that well at the time of recording their next games against marseille who not only don't have a manager but barely seem to have <laughs> yeah. a president yeah, no, and barely but... seems to have anyone who wants to be at the football club that's so probably was... final they... without the weakness no, no, but when this when this goes out their next opponent will be clermont foot okay great so so i'm the manager of clermont foot i think i found a uh, a prob- uh, the the place to focus on so to give a background uh, yeah when psg are building up They've tended to go with a 2-3 shape, um so a 3-3 if you want with Donnarumma surrounded by um Skriniar on his right or left sorry Marquinhos on his right. And um then you have Hakimi uh on the right-hand side, uh Hernandez on the left and you'll get Agate dropping in and quite often PSG will do like a 2-4. Zé Emery tends to drop in because as we're going to talk about Vitinha has quite a, a hybrid role in this setup. And the biggest critique you could have of PSG so far this season is that once they get into the final third, they're great. They're, they can just keep the ball all day long. As Varane's pointed out, Enrique loves possession too much, uh, if anything. But getting to the final third has been a problem against Leon, um, a battered Leon who lost 4-1 and when the ultras just like uh abused their players even in that game Leon were causing a lot of problems at PSG's build up with a you know an okay press Lons obviously are very much weaker this season but under a good coach in Frank Hayes uh his his team caused PSG a lot of problems with their press as well 
Uh, and by problems, I mean PSG more often than not losing the ball in and around their own third, quite close to their penalty area, not just like hoofing the ball long. And what I uh, what I wanted to look at was the players who have lost the ball the most at PSG, whether that's through passes or uh, through poor touches. And first I had a look at Manchester City. I thought, okay, let's have a look at the players who uh, have missed uh, who've been missed, uh, miscontrolled the ball the most times in the team and dispossessed. And the players up there are Erling Haaland, uh, Phil Foden, Julian Alvarez, Jack Grealish, Jeremy Doku, and then finally Rodri. And that's just in total, right? Uh, not Penalty. And Rodri's like on four. Now, and if you couldn't tell there, Haaland, Foden, Alvarez, Grealish, these are final third players. These are forwards. So you'd expect them to Makes miss- a lot of sense. Yeah, you'd expect them to miscontrol the ball most times. For PSG, uh, in terms of miscontrols at least, there was someone uh, very clear out in front of that. And it was quite surprising. I think it would be quite unpopular. Would you, either of you like to have a guess um, of who this player is, who's quite far and away uh, losing the ball the most times. And when I've cross-referenced it with um, uh, live match data, uh, event data, it's like in and around his own half as well. Um, and the clue is, uh, not a single PSG fan will want to see him dropped. Manuel Ugarte? No. Donnarumma? I was going to guess Donnarumma. Oh, Zaire Emery. Most, he's miscontrollable 12 times this season. Now, he has played nearly, every, I think, every game. So that, that is going to influence it. But he's ahead of Mbappe. Uh, he's had Vitinha, Hakimi, Gonzalo Ramos. And it, it, it does make sense as well. His passing's also been a bit less secure in games. Uh, it, these are the two games I looked at were Lawns and um, uh, Leon. And he is the youngest player. He's seventeen, and he's clearly going like he's clearly extremely talented. But if you're an opposition manager right now, maybe you're focusing on him, who's probably the weakest player physically, the least experienced, as a guy who you could potentially exploit now. Neil, you have your hand up in our podcast call. Are you about to refute my claims? You're about to uh, reference it and go, you know, I think you're right. I'm curious. Your thoughts, sir? Yes, um, I actually have something to add. Uh, maybe a slightly separate point, but something that ties in well, I think. So, um, obviously, what you mentioned there was control, but as you as you alluded to before, you know, passing is obviously another part of it. Um, and as we've seen, Zer Emery. So now that's like a second line player, so to speak. So, you know, someone who you'd expect to receive the ball from the center backs if he's dropping in uh, is not the most secure, let's say. Uh, and obviously, now their main sort of second line player is obviously the holding midfielder, who you generally want to be very, I mean, very secure with the ball. You want someone who retains possession really, really well there, right? Now they've got Manuel Ugarte who's a fantastic player defensively. I think he's, I mean, especially even in defensive transition, he's superb. But I've always had questions about his in-possession game. And I have a stat for you, uh, which I think, again, uh, illustrates this. So let's talk about pass completion rate. Okay, let's talk, um, and specifically short pass completion rate. So um, we've got Donnarumma, who has a 100% short pass completion rate. As you'd expect, really, many keepers so early on in the season will have that. Uh, then your the two main centre backs, uh, or uh, Marquinhos, Milan, Skriniar, both uh, in the 98s. Uh, the two fullbacks, uh, Ashraf Hakimi, Lucas Hernandez, both around 94. And obviously, those people uh, do advance in the opposition half and play some sort of uh, f- f- short passes, but further up the pitch, in and around the box. So you expect them to lose some there. Any guesses? Uh, for Manuel Ugarte's pass completion, a short pass completion rate. Hmm. Well, there's a reason you would have guessed him uh, for the player losing the ball most. I'm going to go... Uh, I, I checked for breath earlier, as we could tell, or I have been informed as FB ref. And just a side note, actually, because we discussed That's it on the right. podcast a lot. We discussed it on the podcast last week. Uh, just sign up for both of you. Uh, in recording my TIFO video this week, uh, I said, of breath on camera, and the videographer looked at me like I was an alien and said, what are you talking yes, about? Exactly. This is FB exactly. ref. Look, what it's a good think? job you didn't lose your job. I think you have us to thank. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Anyway, um, 
Long tangent aside, I looked at it earlier. Uh, Marquinhos is scoring like 96%. So I'm going to guess Agarte is 89%. Yeah, I was going to guess the same, 90%. Yep, that's right. It's 90.2%. Uh, and he's attempted 112 short passes. And he's lost 11. He's lost the ball 11 times. And mind you, this is not a guy who really advances in the final third. So I do need to obviously check this with event data if I can. But... I mean, he, from what I've watched, I, he's never really inspired confidence when he's receiving uh, in his own third. So I think the issue with PSG's build-up really is the fact that they don't have any, except for Vitinha, who doesn't drop in as much as perhaps we'd like, uh, which we'll again discuss. Um, they don't have over very secure second-line players. Obviously, they have the fullbacks, but you know those guys are out wide. They're a bit limited in terms of the passing angles they get. Uh, because they're along the touchline, have you know that they can only go one way effectively. Uh, so you really need those good midfielders who can securely receive the ball and securely move it on. Um, and in uh, Zeremri, and of course, more importantly, I think Ugarte, uh, they do seem to lack that a bit. So I think that is the main issue behind their build-up. I wouldn't put it to their structure or to their centre-backs. Uh, uh, for me, it's the the midfielders uh, who I yeah, think should I think, shoulder the blame. I think in one line we can say that they are missing that Marco Verratti profile. Um, yeah. What Verratti did for them over the years. Yep. I mean, he was very injury prone and there were a lot of questions on his build uh, and his physicality as well. But he was actually pretty physical for playing in a deep role. But what he gave on the ball in terms of constant security, but never at the expense of progression. He was always progressing the ball, always receiving from the back line, turning, progressing, whether it's carrying or whether it's passing, getting into the spaces and ensuring that PSG keep getting into the opposition half. I mean, I don't think Ugarte is not that kind of player. Zaire Emery, even if he becomes that kind of player, it's going to take a bit of time. So I do think there is that vacancy in their midfield of that kind of player. Alex, yeah. uh, you wanted to add? Oh, yeah, sorry. Go on, Alex. Uh, I might be transitioning along here, but I do think I think we've all accurately laid out um, the criticisms of these players. Uh, but a point that I mentioned at the start there, of, uh, Neil mentioned as well, actually, of like, yeah, this is the flaw in their system. I think this is a common trend as well throughout the podcast. I think we're going to see like the other side of the coin. While Zer Emery and Agate may not be the most secure, and maybe that's hindering them in build up, and it is a problem. I think at the same time, both of these players, particularly Zaire Emery, as we're going to push up the pitch in talking about PSG, that they add a lot in the final third, particularly Zaire Emery's like, a great bundle of joy on that right-hand side. It's also one of PSG's like most productive dribblers. So it, it is a case of like, you know, we've lost Soratu. He, he was basically the perfect midfielder. Like Now Enrique is being forced to make these decisions. And personally, I'd rather... Despite the issues, despite Targi Zemri, I think I'd rather start him over someone who would maybe be more boring, <laughs> for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, one I, I one you, thing. I think... oh, I'll just go on, Alex. You. Go on, Alex. Yeah. I'm not Alex, but okay. go on, Neil. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think you know, to put it very simply, what they lack in that midfield is press resistance, um, and I think there is a way to to unlock it. I think I have a solution in mind, but I'll save that for later. So go on, Varun. I think I was going to jump to that uh, before you could say it. But okay, I just have a question. Why is Fabian Ruiz not playing? Because uh, if so, I had to okay. think of... Uh, yeah, okay. You answer that question first. So I think, I think as um, uh, Alex alluded to, Ugarte, so I'm, I'm assuming you're saying in place of Ugarte, right? Or in place of Zeremi? Or in place of even Zeremi. If Ugarte can handle the def- defensive responsibilities, Fabian Ruiz can be that guy who helps build up and also goes ahead and play makes. Well, I think, okay, so in in the place of Ugarte, I think the answer is clear, you know, defensively. Yeah, yeah. Uh, defensively. Defense transition, whatever. Yeah. Uh, in place of Zeremi, I think as Alex alluded to, uh, he's giving you something, a, a bit of dyn- dynamism in the final third, which you really need for Enrique, which, you know, as you mentioned, you need that individual brilliance with his teams in the final third. I think mm. Zer Emery gives you that on the ball, uh, sort of dynamism, a little bit more than Ruiz. Ruiz is pretty creative, especially with his passing. Uh, but I think you need a, I think Zer Emery is basically just a bit more direct than yeah. Ruiz. And he's a bit more physical too. I mean, Fabian Ruiz 
the problem always with him has been there's that physicality that energy the speed of coverage um that that's always a bit sluggish even though you get um, amazing technicality uh when he's striking the ball or uh, you know gliding with it but other than that that lack of energy and dynamism and i get that's i guess that's why zaremi plays it makes sense yeah and i think um just quickly while we're on the point of some final third stuff i just i this was just something i thought about really just a couple of matches after watching uh, psg and enrique which is that maybe for and for you know again this is from a purely on page point of view not considering stuff like finances wages etc etc but from enrique's point of view i think it's a bit of a shame that both messi and neymar left in this window i think having both of them plus mbappe was too much i think that was never really going to work but i think with enrique and as we've mentioned uh the the need for the magic or individual brilliance in the final third i think he could have done with one of messi or neymar being there and providing that magic in the final third on a consistent basis and if it were up to me i i would i would take messi honestly because i think he's better than neymar right now more consistent um but that's a very separate debate which you don't need to get into but alex has his hand up so alex are we getting into this debate <laughs> we might be because i completely disagree Ooh, okay. I, I, I i think i think that's an easy solution to have one of them in because they are two of the most creative players in the world but the the, the thing that's worked about psg so far best example their second goal against dortmund didn't involve mbappe at all I bet the only players that involved really were of a tinier hakimi and sure hakimi isn't like he's no bum and neither is Vitinha, as we'll talk about but that goal happened because of a really good attacking pattern of play that was clearly been like they're clearly working hard on the training ground. It was the right pro right mentality of player that we've not seen at PSG in like two years. Messi and Neymar would have held onto the ball for quite a while before like making a pass that nobody else was synced up with. They also offer absolutely nothing out of possession, which is for once like becoming one of PSG's strength, at least in their counter press. I think if you kept Neymar or Messi maybe it'd be better against other league and teams i think they'd be another like surefire l in the champions league uh, it's hard to refute that honestly but uh, for me they still aren't going to get the champions league this season i don't see it uh, so I-, i agree with you long term it's not a good thing but i think this season sort of to ease enrique in i think it would have been it would have done him good to have just one of those two in to make life a bit easier in liga uh and and then, and then see what you can i mean they're definitely going to leave if not you know this summer next summer but i do feel like having one of them would have helped them in games like like lorient you know put a 5-4-1 low block on their head and would like break it down and obviously that match they didn't have mbappe and dembele but the, the sort of the more creative players you have for those games the better it is but yeah i i, I mean i see your point as well and it's it's hard to repeat but varun has something on their final third issues as well uh, so go on yeah i mean I think both of you made uh, valid points. I'm also more on the side of Alex. I don't think they needed Messi Neymar. I think they're fine going in this direction. But I do want to point out and this is a common issue with Enrique teams. If you really see how he wants to create, there's a lot of emphasis on those triangles on the wide uh, on the wings especially or on the center. And the whole idea is to pull out a player so that someone can run in. right either pull out a full full back so that a winger can run in or pull out a center back using the false nine so that an eight or a winger can run and another issue is that so it's a very stale tactic it happens less like when you have 1000 passes in a game and you're able to do that only two or three times that's where it starts becoming a problem and where it's a little different from city on the other angle as well when they counter press so another way in which teams create is the counter press right can you press high steal and then quickly transition directly and enrique's teams and psg as well they are pressing high which they couldn't have done with messi neymar by the way so that's another reason why i'm for the new direction but even when they press the high and steal it they actually like to regroup they like to i mean if anyone's played football manager you have those two options counter press and regroup so psg click the regroup button or enrique teams in general a lot they just come back and again start the overloads 
they really don't hit immediately um, into space and i think they have opportunities to do that and we've seen seen it in bits and pieces because they have good runners in behind they have dembele mbappe and hakimi and i think what alex spoke about as hakimi being a really good runner i think we're going to see that come into play a lot and dembele is also good at it he's decent at it i won't say he's great mbappe is very good at it but then you're always running the risk of if one of them is not in form or if one of them is not able to get in and also finish efficiently i don't know if they generate enough number of chances and they have enough variety of patterns to you know create um other types of chances it's a very very similar type of chance that they create so that is one big issue for me in their final third dynamics and why i think they'll be very very reliant on that move where mbappe or hakimi or dembele get in after someone in midfield has done the pulling after all the passing and taken out a player just to quickly add as well hakimi like varun mentioned it there it's worth saying cuz he's not an upper plan but th- this is the best he's ever played in a psg shirt he's been painfully dread i'm sure we'll all agree so underwhelming like in his entire time that like, compared to what he produced at inter and dortmund there was a period at the beginning of last season i think he went 10 games without completing a cross like he just looked so lost on the right wing and like right wing back last season this year like he's been important in nearly every single game so i i, I assume we all agree on that point yeah i think that that's for sure but i guess let's um quickly move on to another point which will definitely generate a lot of discussion i reckon um let's talk about how they're using vitinha because it's it's really interesting now i have to say i really like the idea behind this and i think yeah i think any everyone will appreciate it um so essentially now of course they start while building up in that 2-3-2-3 structure that i mentioned which is typical for 3-3 really um with Vitinha on left of midfield uh, and Mbappe as a left winger but as they push forward into the opposition half what happens is Vitinha pulls out wide to the touch line really and Mbappe is obviously stays high but comes inside uh in in the sort of channel or in the half space if you will uh so in that sense they have Mbappe in a fairly narrow position and instead of the, him holding the width it's Vitinha holding the width and i think you know all of us can have, uh, appreciate what they're doing here which is keeping Mbappe in a more central position where he's closer to goal can threaten in behind with i mean more danger uh and i think that's a very good idea so varun has his hand up to say something but our pot plan has alex likes this So I think Alex Alex should no, should Alex be, can go. I'll, I'll be I'll be polite. Let's uh Varun, I want to hear your take first as well. Yeah. No, I I just wanted to add on one thing on that and a lot of analysts and you know people who talk about football has co- have covered this but there's this whole comeback of the dual striker system where you have two very attacking, you know, players. They don't necessarily have to start as two strikers, but in formation they come there. So even Uh, pep this year is using haland and alvarez uh, and there are many options like even in our last episode we discussed how felix is almost like a support striker right next to lewandowski which is a big contrast from how lewandowski is getting isolated so that isolated striker now teams don't want that anymore because it's very easy to defend against that so the whole two striker system is back and what you just described almost plays out like a 4-4-2 in many phases where mbappe is just on the left of the striker and vitinha is on the left wing so i think we're going to see a lot of formations uh, you know a lot of top teams especially use this kind of system where two play two strikers can play off each other one can make space for the other um, so yeah i mean i think it's mainly done for mbappe and to ensure that there are at least two presences up front that's all i had to add on that alex thank you very much yes Uh this is a listen this is a great topic because um I actually, I'm not sure me and Neil necessarily disagree I think we do feel fall on different sides of the line on it but it's been a hotly discussed topic in a, a little league and group chat me and Neil are a part of uh there's a there's a wonderful guy online called Jerry uh, Jerry I don't want to mess up his name his second name I was going to say Toku but it's not like you can find him online he speaks French and English and he helps us a lot with league and news and um, but he's got a strong take the on only this downside is he's a bsg fan but yeah <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> he do, he really doesn't like this. He likes the idea, like Leo said. I think he, he's going to agree. He wishes it wasn't some like Virginia because he thinks Virginia gets. Um, he thinks Virginia's worse out there. And while that may be true, I think cost benefit scenario. This is really nice play from Luis Enrique because it gets Mbappe into as we said the position he wants to be. But as we said, it's all against Dortmund midweek. This can play out quite well. Virginia as really developing well as a player. There was news broke that he like Messi didn't like him at all, which maybe hindered his first season. Sexy he's just thriving in all phases. And he's very quick and also a really good dribbler. So he can do well in those wide areas. But what I think makes it different to, let's say, I don't know, you put Bradley Barcola there or someone, like you've got a more attacking player, like crowbarred in, which is what an old PSG thing would do. I think it's too top heavy and it, it makes it more of a threat of running in behind. Whereas, and, and like the opposition will probably defend more narrowly. What what against Dortmund midweek? And while it was only 2 0, I think even though Dortmund played a horrible, horrifying like five at the back system, it was like most anti Dortmund performance of all time. Vitinha being out on the left meant every time he received the ball, he was going to make a pass in behind, which meant he had to be closed down very quickly, which stretched this Dortmund back five a lot. I think that was a, a big reason PSG were able to carve them open quite a few occasions. Like PSG didn't create nothing in that game. I know they opened it for a penalty, but still. So there, there are benefits to having Vitinha out there. And I think for the team, like again, this is something we were talking about last week in um, like profiling. Like, if Tinya is a left winger, like in your final phase, you know, probably not the best use of his skill set. But one, I wouldn't argue it's the worst. And two, for the sake of the team, it's working. Why fix something that isn't broken would be my argument. I've made a big argument, Neil. You may not even disagree. I imagine you do, because you always do. What is your points? <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so, I'll be honest. First, the first time I saw this, uh, I was. I also thought that yeah, if you're doing this, just add an extra attacker, like as you said, like a Barcola. My first instinct was Kang and Lee, but now after uh, you know a few more matches, I completely understand that you cannot do that because PSG are already weak on the build-up side, uh, and of course, Vitinha is someone who does somewhat contribute to the build-up, albeit not as much as Ocardi, for example. But you definitely can't have Barcola. Or uh, a gang and leader. I mean, that really kills their build-up, I'd say. So, I understand that. But I still don't like the idea of Vitinha out wide because I feel he has more to offer in central areas. Because I think he's a lovely, lovely player. Uh, and it was the game against Leon, I'd like to think, where he, uh, on a couple of occasions, uh, in the build-up when Leon were trying a player-for-player press, couple of lovely cases where he received the ball on the half turn, completely sent his man for a hot dog uh, and, and got PSG for basically helped them break the press. I think you want to preserve him in those situations because he's got great close control, uh, pretty very good passing too, as, as Alex alluded to, can really threaten in behind. He's a lovely midfield technician basically, right? So I have a new proposed solution, which I am discussing here for the first time. Uh... With anyone, really. Neil uh, exclusive. Uh, yes, exclusive. Uh, because I only just thought of this while we were talking about it. Um, so, I would say do not change the lineup at all. The only thing I'm thinking of changing is Zer Emery and Vitinha. Now, I have to say this idea, the, the only area where I am not 100% confident, confident is about Zer Emery. Because I don't feel I've watched him enough to sort of predict how he would do out wide on the left wing. But just generally considering his skill set uh, and the stuff I've seen from him, we talk about you know attacking sort of impetus and uh, sort of directness and sort of dribbling and all that. I think he could do a decent job there, right? And so if you have him as the person who goes wide of Mbappe on the left and Vitinha as the person... Obviously, you have to do. You do have to shift him out to the right side of midfield in this case. But still, Vitinha as someone who is in a more central area, I think. I think that's a solution that improves. Bo- I wouldn't say both of them, but definitely imp- uh, gets more out of Vitinha. And even if you lose something from Zer Emery, I think 
there's going to be a net gain uh, at the end of it. Any thoughts, guys? After you, Aaron, we've spoken a lot. Mm, I'm not sure on this. I think there are a few factors to consider. One is, I think Vitinha has a good weak foot. Like, he, he's good with his left foot. I mean, there are times when I see him, I feel uh, he can use both feet well. That could be one factor on him being uh, on the left side. I'm not sure Zaire Emery um, has that good a weak foot. Second, I think it also comes down to the seniority aspect. I mean, you just know that Vitina has a little more experience. I mean, it's not like he's a veteran or anything. And he can handle this complicated tactical instruction of... You know, at times being like a left-sided eight, at times being like a left finger, at times even going into the left half space. Um, so these complicated tactical instructions, I think it might actually boil down to, you know, tactical intelligence and being able to follow complicated instructions and Vitina might just be a little better at that. I mean, I just think it's a little tough to get someone as young as Zaire Emery who's actually finding his footing. And, you know, there are doubts over whether he should even be starting so often. Uh, but then he's good. He's a good talent, so he should be. But I think even more burden on him tactically, it might just be pushing it uh, a lot. I mean, those are some of my takes on that. Alex, anything to add? Or shall we move in to the attackers? I think we said enough on it. I think there's a, there's a nice solution. It'd be interesting to see how it plays out. But as I said, I really, I'm not keen on fixing anything that isn't broken. And it, as long as PSG keep winning, I don't see a, a a big reason to change it. But you know, I I appreciate your argument. Like I'm not saying it's wrong. It's, that's just my thing. Uh, but we can move on. Fair enough. Then let's let's talk about their attackers. I think let's start with you actually, Alex. Uh, you mentioned you seeing Colomani as an Mbappe replacement. I think you know. Alex exclusive. Alexis <laughs> 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 can probably get an idea of where you're coming from now that we've discussed the tactics, but uh, maybe still, uh, let's let's have a quick explanation. Yeah, um, there's two sides to it. I think the tactics work exactly that. Like Colomani isn't a left winger, but he's someone who's got a left side bias. If you look at his heat map from Frankfurt, I've watched his last game before he left to PSG as well. Very much likes to drop into that left hand side. It's because he's a above average dribbler for a striker. Um, so he does tend to work on uh, in those areas. And as we said, the left wing for the PSG uh, comes inside a lot. Uh, so he will be able to act as almost like this le- inside forward, which is a good role for him. I also think he's Mbappe light. Like he's he shares a lot of qualities. Like Obviously, he's not the player because Mbappe is, for me, the best player in the world. But Kalamuani is very, very, very quick. Uh, he's also a good finisher. And he's also a good dribbler. And then, like, those are very basic qualities, but I'm sure if you were to go deep into the analytics, I think you'd find a lot of similarities between them. And with Mbappe leaving at some point, like, I think he makes sense as this player. I think he can, I think he's, if you're going to sign a Kylian Mbappe replacement, I think Rando Colomuani is pretty close. Yeah, I just wanted to add on that. I mean, totally agree with what Alex said. If you, Look at similar players for Colomani on FBref. You will get thrown Marcus Rashford, Nicholas Jackson, Darwin Nunes. And I think that kind of sums him up. I wouldn't actually call him a centre-forward. Not in the classical box nine way of, you know, standing in the box, being an out ball, or even, you know, uh, holding up the ball, receiving back to goal, fighting with centre-backs. He's not that guy. But he's the guy who will drift wide as Alex uh, said, often to the left channel, pick the ball up, dribble, and get himself into the box somehow, either through his off-the-ball movements, uh, his really, really smart channel and, you know, uh, central striker runs, or he'll just dribble with the ball and get there. So in that sense, he's very much like Mbappe, and I'm not sure he's great for Luis Enrique's uh, centre-forward role, you know, where you want a lot of that back-to-goal uh, passing. You want a lot of that drop, I will receive from the number 8 and then I will free up space for someone else to get into. Muani is the guy who's getting into that space. He's not the one centrally making that space for someone else. He's the guy who gets into the space that the striker leaves. So, I do agree with Alex. 
it would be very very convenient if mbappe goes next year and moani gets the left wing space and then in the center forward space you can play a striker who is really good at link up play back to goal and can drop in link up someone like gonzalo ramos do you want to talk about him then uh, what do no, you think i, mean, I, I oh. just set it up like that uh, it was meant for a setup for you guys but you just threw it back to me <laughs> I, i'll just i, I, I'll I, just... I thought you'd mentioned you had some thoughts on ramos yeah, yeah. so, so let's, let's uh, i'll just yeah i'll quickly sum him up and then you guys can add on um i do think gonzalo ramos is a very good fit for luis enrique because um i think when we covered a benfica uh, episode as well i mentioned this with ramos they got a lot of link up play they got a lot of he can drift wide he can drop deep he's almost like an attacking midfielder in many phases very technically well rounded but he's not that super poacher types he's not the guy who's making a lot of runs in the box um you know running at those crosses headers he can do all of it in bits and pieces but he's just not a super consistent poacher and i actually think that works out well for a luis enrique team and i think it's very smart recruitment from psg because if you're talking about the enrique role um although the striker does score goals when he's facing the goal a lot of the responsibilities are to roam and link up and drop and make space for the eights and wingers so if we are talking about wingers like suppose next year they play with kolomuani and usmane dembele on the wings and gonzalo ramos is the striker that is actually a really good tactic for him to drop and for them to enter and score so and even hakimi on the right you know at times and dembele holds with uh, hakimi can come as the right underlapping guy into the half space so i do think he's a good fit and he wouldn't have fit for every team in the world uh but i think he fits well for enrique what do you guys think yeah i, th- I think i pretty much agree with what you said um in, in terms of sort of their squad building generally speaking in attack i think they they've done a really really good job because you know as you say ramos is a very smart signing uh, in, for the way they want to play uh colomwani as, as uh, alex alluded to can sort of replace mbappe very really well i mean as well as each you really can and even if you look at their sort of right wing options you've got uh, dembele and bakola right uh, and i think for, for, again for the, this system with uh, enrique those two are really good cuz the right winger ha- is generally going to start a lot wider than mbappe certainly uh, and so they'll see more of the ball in the wings and then have more take ons to do and you know maybe deliver crosses cut inside and shoot or whatever um and so in in that regard both of these are really good players and then you've also got uh, marco asensio can either play false nine as he's done a fair bit or be used uh, on the right wing so i think just generally speaking this is not something we really say of psg a lot but i think the way they've built their uh, attack the, their squad in the attacking department specifically has been well done this season so i do think we have to give them that right do we have any other thoughts on their attacking stuff or do you want to quickly mention their out of possession work because i think that's also an interesting thing um very quickly let's just look at it like shape wise so far from what i've seen they've generally gone to a 4-4-2 out of possession with which most teams do because it's a really good shape that provides you lots of coverage in all sorts of spaces um and also in the case of psg it also helps them sort of mask mbappe by using him as a second striker effectively out of possession on the left and then the the nominal striker on the right um and they have looked to press uh from especially against like goal kicks and and that sort of those sort of situations and yeah i think you know i mean it's it's not particularly surprising but after years of having mbappe neymar and messi doing very little up top they have looked quite different so what have you guys made of their sort of new look defending and pressing for once i've i've i'll be completely honest i've watched i mean i've got their their team notes in front of me i've watched them versus dortmund um lorient toulouse and uh, lyon and lons as well um i i've got them down as like doing a, a 442 press out of possession i i've I haven't picked up like a, a particularly interesting structure from them, but I think I'll kind of echo other people said. 
I've just I've been quite impressed with the counter pressing and like the intensity in that. They seem to win the ball back quite quickly when they lose it in the final third, which, which I think is the most encouraging thing you could say about PSG because I said that's been just non-existent in the past. The story I always tell, um, I can't remember which game it was, but it was like one of Messi's first appearances for PSG. It was when Icardi was still there. Uh, Messi had come on as a sub. Uh, Icardi was on too, and Icardi flicked a ball on, and it went about two yards wide of Messi, but like it, it wasn't travelling particularly fast. If he had jogged for it, he could have got it. Like If he would moved in any way, he would have like received the pass and he just stood there and watched it go past him and like that's the image I've always had of PSG over the past two years like there's just if they haven't got the ball at their feet they're doing nothing so I think that's the most positive thing I can say is just like the the intensity is good I think it's probably too early to see any like really effective pressing structures maybe but that is just me I don't think I've picked that up well enough maybe someone else has um so, I'm actually not a big fan of what they do after they uh, are successful in their press. As I said earlier, I think they're a bit too cagey. They don't really go for that direct attack. So, I just have some stats in front of me. Um, so, this, this is, these are from the Opta Analyst. Uh, they have these sequence style uh, tables. And obviously... Uh, for 10 plus pass sequences, PSG are top. Direct speed, they are the least. Basically, they are very slow and intricate. Uh, passes per sequence, they are highest. Build up attacks, they are the highest. But for direct attacks, they have only five this season. And the lowest in the league is three. So basically, they are in the bottom at three, four, five. Um, they don't really like to counter. And I think that is something they should think about because they have very good elements for a counter-attacking style. And I'm not saying they should like change their whole game and you know become counter-attacking from possession-based. But I think in those moments when they counter-press and they steal the ball, they have to look at that direct play when the defense is unsettled of the opposition and there are gaps. Mbappe especially is a master at that. You know We've seen it so many times for France. It's not like France were playing great possessional football, but they would just be really good in stealing in midfield and playing Mbappe through. Um, Another stat I have on this is on high turnovers. So here PSG look a little better. They are third, but Nice and Lille have more short ending turnovers than them. And Paris Saint-Germain have nine, which is again not a big deal considering they're the best team in the league. They should have more short ending turnovers. So I do think this is one area where they can improve mainly because it will give another pattern of attack for Luis Enrique who's very very reliant on that wide overlap and then playing the winger or the overlapping fullback in he's very reliant on that so I do think they need to not be so cagey when they win the ball high up yeah it's Enrique Enrique though he's not he's not listening to you there uh, but yeah I think sort of we, we haven't really gone too deep on the out of possession stuff but I think to quickly sum it up it's safe to say that they're a lot better than they were you know, last year or a couple of years ago. Uh, but it's maybe too early to say how solid they will be like under real pressure because I don't think their sort of defensive block has been tested a lot. Um, so I think that's, you know, this is more of a sort of work in progress in terms of our assessment. So I guess it's something... And I think to- uh, we also have to mention that last week when we were discussing about whether to do PSG and the Dortmund game hadn't been played, all three of us said it's kind of irrelevant because they're going to thrash Dortmund because Dortmund aren't great. Dortmund so, are horrific. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it just speaks volumes of the fact that they still haven't gotten a very good testing opposition in the Champions League. Uh, we didn't think Dortmund was that. And in the league, though some teams have troubled them, those teams that, you know, when these things don't work, when they're forced in a defensive block a lot more often, those will be the real tests of PSG and an Enrique team in general. So, Yep, should be interesting. Right then, I think that's everything covered. Last thing we're going to do is predictions. Uh, let's do our 30-second rule again. So you guys have 30 seconds to tell us what you expect PSU to do in the league uh, and in the Champions League. I think if anyone spends more than five seconds on the league, uh, I, I think they need to stop talking. So who, do, who wants to start? Who wants to give us 30-second uh, predictions for PSG? 
Varun, do you want to start? Yeah. Okay. Time starts now. They'll win the league. The Champions League. So PSG have been doing round of 16 for two years in a row. Before that, they did semi-final and final. Final under Tuchel, semi-final under Pochettino. I don't think Enrique improves on those two. He probably matches Galtier's round of 16 or maybe goes to the quarter-final, depending on opposition. I don't think they're getting to the semi-final. Okay, well done. Alex, your time starts now. Uh, they win the league with one of their lowest points tallies in the QSI era, narrowly beating Monaco. Uh, in the Champions League, they reach the final. I think they're actually very well set up to contain a lot of teams. Uh, while their players may not be the most talented they've had in their generation, they're going to follow instructions to the best they've ever had. And I think that's going to carry them really far, especially in a year where I think Manchester City look really strong. And then I can't think of too many teams that have got their stuff together. Namely, Bayern Munich, Man United. Look at that game midweek. I think that's emblematic of a lot of teams right now. Two mid-offs. Well, it is illegal to have your hand up on a prediction, man. It can't be that bold. I have things to say. I have things to say. But you go ahead, Neil. Okay, fine. I'll do me first. So, I think they're going to win the league very comfortably. Uh, I think Champions League, not going past the quarterfinal, I would really say around 16 probably. Uh, Bonus prediction, uh, I think it's two years that they've not won the cup. I don't think they're winning the Coupe de France again. So, there you go. I don't think they're a very good cup team is what I'm trying to say. Uh, right, Varun. Is that what you want to pull uh, Alex exactly, up on? Exactly. Exactly. I don't see a cup team at all. Um, I mean, Enrique's style and in general how Enrique has been. He had this issue even in his previous clubs. Uh, Spain, uh, we know quite well. This is not a cup winning team. It's a league winning team in the sense that they'll grind their opponents, have all the possession, keep getting those one or two goals. But when that moment of inspiration is needed, when really tough teams who can hit them on the transition make their gaps hurt when they come across, I think PSG will be very lacking. Um, I think the first instance they get a strong win, like if they get a Madrid or I don't know, I mean, I know Alex dissed Bayern and United, but trust me, I mean, even with their crappy half-assed play, Someone like a Bayern or a United can get a result against this PSG. United I mean, do not cause PSG. United <laughs> can't even cause Sheffield United any trouble. Uh, that, that's just, I mean, okay, see, I'm not even... Not for... Just to counter, just, just count, count, I will say, listen, they, they may not appear like a cup team, but I think you all forget Kylian Mbappe, and I would point to the World Cup and the and the Euros, and the World Cup before with France. Most boring team in the world who just pass the ball around everywhere, and they can rely on someone like Kylian Mbappe. I think that's a big reason why Spain didn't do well uh, in the World Cup under Enrique. But, and they, they did okay in the Euros. They lacked like a big final third talent. You hand Enrique and Mbappe, I think he's enough to change games. But, but then, see, where I'll counter that is, Deschamps actually is really good for this because he has no ideals. He has no philosophy. <laughs> he he can... He, he he drops everything. He's a man without morals. <laughs> yes, exactly. He, and that is his strength. He's willing to drop anything and play to his player's strength. I don't think Enrique is, has the opposite problem. I mean, what you said for France, Spain are the opposite example, you know. Uh, I know Mbappe is the difference. But I don't know if Enrique can, you know, give that kind of freedom and that kind of, I'm going to play according to my players, you know, screw the system. Uh, we'll do whatever it takes. We'll get into a 4-5-1 block, you know, uh, and we'll play on the counter to, you know, hit uh, hit a team which is weak behind their fullbacks. I don't think Enrique is going to do any of those things, you know. He can, but I don't think he will. So I think that's where they, they, they hit a wall, according to me. Yeah, I think maybe Great last history. word on this... Uh, I'd say is that this is probably not the best use of the word, but it's used like this a lot. So it, essentially, Enrique is not a pragmatist. And I think what, Alex, you want from a team that uses Mbappe to his best in a cup is a pragmatic manager who understands the situation. I'm not sure if Enrique is going to do that. But, well, I guess we'll know in a few months. But anyway, I think that was a lovely episode. Great chat, as always, guys. Really enjoyed that. Hope our listeners uh, enjoyed that too. Of course, you can find all of us on social media. Uh, on Twitter, you can find Alex at EuroExpert underscore, Varun at the Devil's DNA, 
me at Shailat Neil and of course our Get Football accounts. Go to at Get Football EU, which is our main account, and you can find all the league and country specific accounts uh, tagged in the bio there. Of course, as always, do keep a lookout on all of our Get Football outlets where we'll be covering football from all over the world with analysis, news, videos, opinions, all sorts of stuff from some of the best people in the business. Uh, so do, do, do watch out for that. And you can find a link to all of that in our notes or description of the show, uh, of the podcast, depending on where you're listening. So check that out there. And if you can, please do rate the podcast because it helps us with our reach. And of course, uh, do share it on social media too if you enjoyed the episode. But in any case, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. And we'll see you next week. Take care until then. Goodbye. Thank you.